want to say something before we really dive into this. If you are someone who derives actual enjoyment from this game, like actually, you know, enjoys it rather than just being contrarian or saying it to be hip or whatever, but if you actually enjoy this game, that's awesome. And I want you to immediately stop watching this video. Please. Uh, I've said it before and I'll say it again. There's nothing wrong with deriving enjoyment from something uh, within reason. Within reason. And so as long as you're not being a dick about it, or as long as you're not, you know, trying to uh, cause harm to someone else with it, then that's awesome. And that's also why I'd like you to not watch this if you happen to sit in that territory, because I do not enjoy this game. Now that we've got that out of the way, the next thing I want to talk about is memes. One of the things I've noticed a lot of in recent memory is there's this sort of tendency for people to... to exaggerate or pontificate or it's that's the wrong word but you know they, they just they don't really mean what they say um, this game is literally worse than hitler or this game is just the worst game i've ever played or this is the worst rpg ever and all of those statements are all a bunch of hogwash they don't actually mean that they're saying that for exaggerative effect right it's like eating a burger and saying, oh, I would literally be rather eating gravel than this. No, you wouldn't. You're saying that to accentuate the impact of your statement. Or you're saying it because you're not actually thinking about what you're saying. Both are possible. But that's a very common thing when it comes to judging fiction in general. Uh, when it comes to movies, books, television, and of course, video games. And I'm sure you've heard that at least once in your life, right? I'm sure at least one point... Whoever you are listening to this right now, you've heard someone say, oh gosh, you know, such and such is just the absolute worst such and such I've ever seen. And no, it isn't. One of the values I find in doing this method of going through and enumerating and reviewing on the specifics of why something is good, bad, and both is I feel it is a good way to kind of get rid of all that and analyze if something is actually bad. Or, for that matter, actually good. Because sometimes a game that I remember fondly dives down, in my opinion, when we go through it. So we get in five. And sometimes a game goes substantially up from where I thought it would be. And I, I can't think of an example of this off the top of my head, but it's happened. And then sometimes you look at a bad game and you really analyze why it is that terrible. Because this game is terrible. Now, for those of you who are sufficiently familiar with Quest 64, to be clear about this, this is specifically the original version of the game. So, the actual original 1998 June English release of the game. I am aware of the fact that the Japanese copy, excuse me, did actually improve substantially on the game in several ways. I am reasonably certain, though I do not know for total certainty, that this game was very rushed. It certainly shows. And I know that there's the Game Boy Color version of the game, which could actually be called good. So, of the three versions of this game, this is the worst, and I stand firmly behind my statement that this is garbage. I usually take notes while I'm streaming for these, but I'm just going to kind of go down the list, if that's okay with you. Let's start with something that usually doesn't come into a review, but I think it's important for both historical context and because, well, it does help showcase how the issues this game had. Because the first problem I ran into was this. Now, the off chance you don't know what this is, this is a memory card for the N64. You slot it, where did it go? You slot it into the N64 controller, 
and you can save your game there, right? Now, I'm sure there are other games that require this to be able to play the game. Most of the time, it's just for saving little optional stuff, like in both Mario Kart 64 and Diddy Kong Racing. This is how you save your ghost data, as you put it on there. In this game, you use it to save your game, to be able to save your game at all. Now, if that doesn't sound as awful as it is, I want to remind you that far more complex games, which have to keep track of far more data, do not require a completely separate pack to install, you know, to, to, to save your game. You could just do it on the cartridge, as was the style at the time. So, right out the gate, the first thing we run into, the little, uh, what was I, 17-year-old uh, me, I think, at this point? Um... 16 or 17, is one of those two, was the first thing I had to do was I had to go out and buy this memory. It's actually this exact memory card. It's 20-something bucks, right? What's funny is I bought the game, brought it home, I was like, all right, let's play it, and then I went out and was like, oh, I, I need a memory card. Now, what's really funny about that is it doesn't say that. Hang on, I, I say that with a question mark. Let me double check. But I'm almost positive it doesn't say that on the case. Yep, no, I'm right. It says it is compatible with the controller pack or the Rumble Pack, and it's one player, and it doesn't say you literally need the memory card to play it. Now, forgive me for harping on this point, but obviously this was very aggravating to young me. Now, I had a job by that point, so I had the money to pay for it. I already bought this game. I bought this with my own money. But you can see how this automatically makes me disinclined towards this game. Now, the reason we ended up digging the game for it specifically, since you know this might arguably not apply nowadays, is twofold. First of all, the only reason for that is because they didn't bother to make it so you could save the game on the pack, which is either greed, because they didn't want to put the extra uh, the storage space on there, um, you know, like, like the battery, or incompetence, or incompetence. Or, no, I'm sorry, I, this, this game is destroying me. Incompetence, as in they literally didn't know how to compress the game correctly, or marketing, they were trying to push people to buy the memory cards. There we go, that's the three options. All of those options suck. But, but you know what? Whatever. I, I do have my original copy. It's this right here. I can prove you know, I've got the game in there. And I don't have to prove this because if you watched the stream, you may or may not have noticed that I was playing on my N64. Because I didn't want to deal with emulation this time around. You know, I always own the games I play, but I usually play the emulated version because it's just easier to stream that way, right? It just bypasses so many of the issues and hassles that you could run into, okay? But this time, I'm like, you know what? After the massive massive issues we had with Banjo-Tooie. I don't want to deal with that. I'm just going to play the original version. So I fire it up, plug in my memory card, try to be surprised the memory card has since died. Okay, sure. You know what? No problem. I'll buy a new one. I'll buy this brand new one. It didn't even cost me. That's the funny part. It's actually cheaper now to buy this than it was 23 years ago. There's something funny about that to me. But anyway, so I go ahead and buy this. Plop it in. We're cool. We play through 10 hours of the game, which is most of the game yesterday. We get through a huge chunk of it. For those of you familiar with the game, we were approaching the boil hole to go fight Fargo. I load up the game this morning, fire it up, get ready to do a little bit of off-camera grinding, you know, just some agility leveling and some defense leveling, and then I'm told that this is invalid. And I'm like, well, what? So I look up, I, I try a few things just to make sure that it's cool, but no, it's absolutely telling me it's not happening. So I decided to look it up, and it turns out that the battery died. 
what most likely happened, even because I had I bought this new and it was actually in its original packaging and everything. What most likely happened is this has probably been on a shelf for a few years and just hasn't been sold yet. And then someone sold it to me. And in the time it was just sitting on the self shelf, it went bad. Probably. Either that or it's just a crap manufacturer, one of the two. So 10 hours, gone. Yeah. I just wanted you to know that little story before we actually get into the game proper. Where do I begin? God, this game. Alright, so I think the first thing I want to say is that this game comes very close to being good in multiple different ways constantly. One of the things you can do in combat is, so it's turn-based, obviously. You go, the enemy goes, you go, the enemy goes. I'll talk about that in just a second. But the enemy will cast a spell, and most of these, not all, most of these spells you can dodge. So as they cast and wind up, a little area will pop up around you, and you can move around to dodge the spell. Cool, right? The camera is so focused on the enemy, and it's really easy to miss when you're capable of dodging, and the camera doesn't show you you or the attack coming until after it's already essentially hit you. It's, it's just a few frames before it actually connects. So if you know what you're doing, you can blindly try to dodge attacks. You can do that, but the camera doesn't really enforce that, and the game doesn't really allow you the time to do that, because the amount of time you have to dodge is so short, and you need to know what attack they're using and how to dodge that attack with effectively no prep time, because there is no prep time, because, again, the camera issues, and the lack of proper animate, animating to actually showcase which spell they're using. So, not a good feature. This game has the use-it-and-level-it system. Now, I'm not a fan of that system in general. I've said that many times, and I'll never change that opinion. However, that system by itself is not necessarily bad. It depends on how you implement it. Some of you may remember that I, though I rag on Final Fantasy XII constantly for its use-it-level-it system, I never actually gave a negative for it because the system itself wasn't bad. There were things connected to it that were bad, which brings me to this game. So, right now, assuming you don't know, how would you assume you would level your agility in a game like this? Go ahead and pause the video if you want to. I'll, I'll wait. Go ahead and put it in the comments. Do, do, do. So there's HP. You level your HP by hitting the enemy physically and by getting hit. Not taking damage, not how much damage you take, just a hit that hits you gives you one XP for your thing. And you have to get, we did the math, you have to get hit 25,000 times to max out your HP. It's a lot, by the way. Uh, defense, exact same formula. Every time you get hit, you raise your defense, regardless of the damage done. You can't raise your defense by hitting something, though. Uh, your physical damage goes up from how many elements you have in general, and there's a huge, very complex formula behind it, which I'm not going to bore you with. And your elements, of course, go up because... So every battle you successfully win gains you one combat exp, and there's little spirits on the overworld. Each spirit gives you one level of one of the four elements, and every combat level gives you a point to put into one of the four elements. Cool. Cool. Uh, so that's defense, HP, and elements. So all we have left is agility. <laughs> so how do you think you level agility? It's by moving. Now, it's actually more complicated than that. There are actually three distinct methods by which you can raise agility. All of them involve moving, though. So if you're in a safe area, an area in which random encounters cannot happen, you gain a rate of, I think it's 1x per 37 seconds of solid movement. So that takes a long time to level. 
But if you're in a danger area, you gain uh, twice that rate. So about uh, 17 point whatever seconds, you get an experience. And every 50 of those raises your agility by one. So if you're in a danger area, running in circle with, with you know, you do the trick where you put the rubber band and all that, it only has to take you 11 solid days to max out your agility. The third method, by the way, is when you move in combat, like you, you get your movement thing and you can move around there, and the distance between where you started and where you ended your turn, that's calculated and then that's added to your exp, and that's effectively double again the amount of experience that the danger area gave. So, you know, one times exp for safe area, twice exp for danger area, four times exp in combat. But of course, you can only move a tiny little space in combat, so that makes sense. That's how you raise agility. Agility determines how who goes first in combat, uh, whether or not you can hit them, whether or not they can hit you, and your movement range in combat, which is incredibly important. So, that's how you level. Now, if you were paying attention, you could probably already notice how there's several issues here. The first and foremost is several of those are not exactly intuitive methods of leveling. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed one. You raise your MP by successfully connecting with a spell, which is related to this problem. Not casting, not being out of MP, not doing damage or, or healing or whatever. It, you can only raise your MP by successfully connecting with an enemy with a spell. So you can't level off of pure healing, for example. So none of those are particularly well explained, with the exception of the HP thing. And most of those aren't really all that intuitive. So just playing normally, you will not, you know, the Korean method, as, as it's been described to me many times, will not give you a balanced leveling thing like it will in, for example, Final Fantasy II. That's the first problem. The second problem I already elucidated. It's slow. The amount of experience you get for doing stuff is so minor that you are forced to stop and grind in this game. And I know that different people have different levels of tolerance for grind when it comes to video games. I have very little tolerance for grind when it comes to video games, especially since I define grind by default as a negative thing. But point is, it takes so long. And it's also got the other problem. Remember, it matters how many times you get hit, not how much damage you take. So the, the best method of leveling in the entire game is going to the second dungeon of the game, finding these little blood jellies and just standing there and letting them beat on you for however long you can manage, which is quite a while, especially by the time you get the confuse spell and the heal spell. You can just stand there and let them wail on you. And that's how you raise your HP and your defense. Not by fighting higher level enemies, or elite enemies, or dangerous enemies, or even killing enemies, because remember, killing enemies barely gets you anything. If you defeat a combat, you can get experience from that, but that's it. It deinvests you from actually fighting in most cases. Once you get to a certain point in your stats, it's actually more beneficial to avoid every combat, to just run from every combat, because there's no benefit to it. Now, running from combat's okay. What you do is you physically run around to the field, and this is your move area, and then, you know, that goes up based on your agility, and then you can run out of the battle area, and that allows you to escape, right? That's kind of cool. That's a cool feature that could have been a positive. Um, this is a good time to mention that one of the things they do is they try to make it so that your heals suck in combat, but are good for recovering out of combat. This is especially true early on. Now, there are other games that do something similar to that. In fact, quite a few games have a thing where if you use an item in combat, it heals you for a range of less health than it does out of combat because they want to limit your in-combat options. But again, because of the severe limitation on this healing until you get to the very high levels of water, that's not super useful. And again, not a positive. And that's just 
I'm going to stop here. I'm not going to go whole, through the whole list. We talked about every item, all 40 of them, or whatever it was, uh, during the stream, during the actual review. <sighs> I'm just trying to discuss and describe the why, because there's so many whys here. Let me give you another one. RNG. Now, RNG is kind of a bad word when it comes to video game design, but I do firmly believe there is a point and purpose to well-designed RNG. You can put RNG in the hands of the player, or you can add, do it to be a super optional thing that can be a little bonus thing, like, say, maybe you have a chance to not die periodically because the happiness of your Pokemon is high, for example. There's good ways to use RNG. A bad way to use RNG is to fight a boss using the exact same tactics at the exact same level with the exact same stats and win or lose based on a dice, dice roll. Because that's the bosses in this game until you get to the point which you can invuln yourself. I actually demonstrated this on camera. The worst example of this is the second, or yeah, second to last boss, who's the quote unquote villain of the story. I'll come, I haven't even talked about the story yet. That's the best part. You get to that point and he's like, hey, what's going on? I'm going to either Shrek you or die instantly, depending on nothing more than dice rolls. The final boss of the game is actually the easiest boss in the game. Can anyone guess why, if you don't happen to know? Go ahead, pause. I'll wait. I'll wait. That's probably good, because you, you, you have the pause button. I don't. I need a pause button for real life. That would be really useful. So the reason why is because he's huge. So if you cast a big AoE spell like, oh, I don't know, Avalanche, which throws several random rocks out, RNG, most of them are going to hit him because he's so big, whereas most bosses are like this. He also only has three attacks and doesn't do anything special with them. He has the same type of attacks that they have since all the way back to the first boss of the game. I suppose I should talk about the buff-debuff thing, because this actually pisses me off more than anything else. This is so stupid. Buffs in this game have a random duration, which can include one turn, and debuffs and buffs can both be dispelled by boss abilities and some trash abilities. It's just baked in, right? So a boss just hits you and then your buff goes away, that kind of a thing. Why does that piss me off so much? Because there's quite a few buffs in this game, and debuffs, and most of them are actually really useful and screw you for trying to use them. Buffs and debuffs can add tactical options to a game, especially an RPG, which tends to not have a lot of tactical options in general. So giving you the option to put a dot up, or to lower their defense, or to raise your armor, or to raise your attack, or to make it so they can't move as much, so they can't reach you with their spells, or to increase your movement range so you can actually dodge spells, these are all valuable things that are all removed from your arsenal, because screw you for trying to use them. This is also why wind is the worst element, because wind has tons of buffs and debuffs that can all just go piss off. I suppose this is a good time to talk about the balance issue, too. You've probably heard of this before, because it's one of the more commonly known things about this game, is that the way to play this game is wind, or excuse me, water, <laughs> water, earth. And those are the two overpowered ones. Because earth gets an ability that lets you restore MP when you're hit. Uh, the aforementioned avalanche, which does a stupid amount of damage, most damage you can do in the game. And the ability to just straight up be invincible. Water gives you a heal... And the ability to exit spell, uh, the, the ability to exit spells, you no longer have to spells in the game. The ability to exit from combat, that's the spell it gives you, and a few other things that are semi-useful. Those are ridiculously overpowered. It's not even the most overpowered way to play this game, actually. A full-on melee build with some buffs from, like, say, fire or earth is actually even stronger than that, but I'm not going to get into that. 
The point being that you can absolutely Shrek this game that way, and it's one of the things that most people complained about it, is it's too easy, which is hysterical to young me who have found this game incredibly hard. But you know why I found it hard? was because I was divvying up my points evenly. I asked this on camera. I said on stream, hey, you know, you have four elements, earth, fire, water, wind. Every time you level up and every time you get a thing, you get to put a point into one of them. What's your distribution strategy? Like, you're playing it for the first time, you don't know what you're doing. What's your distribution strategy? Now, some people said, well, I want to, I, I like fire, I want to pick fire. Some people said, I want to go with wind and water, because that sounds cool, right? Maybe a little ice combo kind of thing. Some people said, distribute it all on four, try it out, see what we like. All of these are valid options, and all of them are wrong in this case, because the correct answer is earth and water, with some points into fire. Because fire, while at least kind of useful, underperforms in every way uh, compared to earth and water, and wind is worse in every way to all of the other elements because it is so horrifically unbalanced. It is ludicrously easy to build yourself into a corner in this game, and there is no possibility of respec. There is an exploit, I know about the cheat, the, the, the bug that allows you to level yourself more and therefore bypass this problem, but that doesn't really count in the game's favor. I also know that they have fixed this rebalancing problem in the Japanese version, one of the ways that it is a superior game. All of this makes a game that's slow and disinteresting, because there's nothing to do in combat other than the same basic options forever, uh, against enemies that look different but don't act differently, because they all do the exact same thing. The AI for every enemy is exactly two lines. I'm not joking. They either move towards you or don't, like, they'll, they'll do this beeline you. They'll move straight towards you for X period of time, or they won't. So it's a binary toggle thing. And then they will randomly cast one of their spells. That's it. So there's... And, and all the enemies, with the exception of the bosses, use the spells from your arsenal. And your spells aren't that varied either. You've got a fire pillar. You've got a fire ball. You've got a fire explosion. You've got a water pillar. You've got a water like line thing and you've got a water explosion and then you've got air blades and then you've got a big air blade and then you've got an air explosion and you're probably noticing a trend here it's okay for rocks you have throwing a rock throwing a bigger rock throwing a really big rock throwing a bunch of little rocks making a line of rocks or a whole bunch of big rocks and being invincible there's not a lot of variety to the spells it makes sense why because this game was rushed which I suppose is a good time as any to talk about the dungeon design one of, some of you may know that I love Oblivion. Elder Scrolls Oblivion, wonderful game. Except for its dungeons, which suck. Because the dungeons, they, what they do is they literally copy-paste puzzle pieces and they just kind of copy-paste them and there's the dungeon. Now imagine that for the entire game. It's not that hard to do because almost all of the dungeons in Oblivion do that. But they do that here. I've always critical of copy-pasted textures without landmarks, because that makes it hard to really tell what you're looking at and easy to get it lost, and you don't really have a sense of visual progression, even if you know where you're going. One of the things we did, so I mentioned that the memory card died, so we had to fire up the emulator and turn on a no-encounters cheat to get back where we were, right? Nothing really highlighted for me just how bad the dungeon design was until you walk through it with no encounters, because it's just this one long hallway or corridor or cave with the same textures, and they copy-paste the geometry. So imagine they build this portion of the cave, and then they just copy-paste that over and over and over, and that's the dungeon, right? That's pretty bad. It gets worse, because the final dungeon of the game has two rooms that are, and I want to stress that I am not joking or exaggerating, literally copy-pasted from previous rooms. 
actually the same room. And of course, you're fighting the same type of enemies throughout, so there's no indication other than knowing that you are, that you're actually progressing through that dungeon. That is how copy-pasty the dungeons get in this game. That's ignoring the lighting issues. Let's talk about stress. Now, stress is usually considered to be a bad thing, and for good reasons. But stress can also be a good thing. And that probably sounds weird, but it's easy to explain. You ever been on a roller coaster? You ever watch a really horrifying movie or play a really horrifying game? You ever play a very difficult game? And it's like, just, oh my god, I'm barely managing it. Oh god, I'm like a three. Oh, I gotta go over this way. And, oh crap. Right? That's good stress. That's something that's getting your adrenaline up and getting you engaged and active. Yeah. One of my favorite examples of that is the old RTS series, Homeworld, which are very stressful games, especially if you are playing them for the first time and you're just like, oh god, and then the thing comes up. It's like, oh god. Stress can be a good thing, uh, in, especially when it comes to game design. Let's talk about bad stress. Now, this is much easier to explain because bad stress is exactly what it sounds like. I want you to imagine that you're working on a project for whatever your job is, and you know that it's easy to screw up for something that you didn't do. So, so basically, for, through no fault of your own, you might have to either screw up, or it might go wrong, or bad, or someone else might screw up on the project. And as a result, not only have you lost all that work, but you have to start all the way over from scratch. That type of stress is what several dungeons in this game engender, including the Blue Cave, and my personal favorite, and I wrote it down here, somewhere, <laughs> Baragoon Tunnel. Now, I want to explain this, because whoever made this dungeon... I feel they legitimately, actively hated the players. So it's very dark. It is so dark that, and I could prove this, you could check the VOD. Uh, it was so dark that you could only see the ground immediately around you, okay? You cannot see the walls, you cannot see more than five feet in any direction, and you're in a narrow corridor, okay? So just picture that. Now that, by itself, is not necessarily bad. Now imagine that there's encounters every three or four feet, and those encounters, because of the nature of how encounters work in this game, it's very easy to leave that encounter disoriented of which way you're facing, especially when that way and that way look identical, and you can only see this tiny little spot around you anyways, okay? Now, I know what you're thinking. Here's the compass. The compass has its own issues, especially because one of the things the game will do to help you out is after combat, the camera will swivel to where you were facing when the combat started. Now, that sounds like good design. It's almost good design because that camera doesn't know how to do that in tight corridors. So if you're out in the open, yeah, no, you were facing this way, you're good. If you're in a tight corridor, the camera will kind of do this, and it'll try for a second, but it'll literally give up after a bit. So now you're facing this way. So you think you were going this way, but you're not actually sure because the camera wasn't really doing its thing, and you're a little bit turned around anyways. Oh, and by the way, the, the compass is the most disorienting type of compass, which is the kind that rotates with your camera, and, and the whole thing rotates rather than just showing the arrow different. And the compass goes away, so if you weren't paying very careful attention to it, it's easy to lose it and lose where you were, especially given how long combat can be. So yes, it is possible to keep track of where you're going. It just takes a lot of effort and work and time and stress. Now, imagine that in this narrow corridor with bad camera and irritating enemies that can kill you very easily in like five hits, you are now trying to navigate this place. And remember what I just mentioned about using the compass to navigate? This is not a joke. You can look this up. The map design is to carve up and then down and then up and then down and like 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 a, a wave sign almost, right? It just goes up down like this on spokes. 
And the reason that's important is because it means sometimes you're going up and sometimes you're going down. The total opposite of each other. And it is extremely easy, especially in the corners, to lose which particular spot you're at. Oh, by the way, you don't leave combat the same spot you enter combat, so that helps too. And by helps, I mean hurts. So I ended up getting turned around on that a few times. I'll go ahead and admit that. I did it on camera, and I can't, can't lie about it. And it's really hard to see and all that fun stuff, okay? Cool. Then we add the fact that you get to a certain point and you're supposed to cross a bridge. You're like, okay, what's so hard about that? The bridge was literally invisible on my screen because of how dark it was. I ended up looking up a walkthrough. I, I, I had a map up. It wasn't helping. So I ended up looking up a walkthrough, and it describes, after you get this thing, go across the bridge. And I'm like, I'm looking for a bridge. So I just start running into the edge of the wall, running into a few counters as I go, until finally I just start walking out over what looks like the abyss. And after a few seconds, the, the camera tilts down, and I start to, for the first time, see the bridge I'm currently walking on. This is not good design. This dungeon is also very long. All of them are. Uh, yeah, no, I'm going to stick with that. All of the dungeons are pretty long. And uh, has very high encounter rate, which makes it even longer. And I knew that at any time I could just randomly die and lose all that progress. There's also a boss at the end, and most of the bosses are bullcrap unless you BS them. Which I did, of course, because I didn't want to do that dungeon again. In some cases, it's easy to get turned around on the boss fight, because most boss fights are just big arenas with two identical exits. <laughs> While we're on the subject. <sighs> I hate this game. <laughs> I just... The bosses. What, 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 what's good boss design? In an RPG, again, you're a little sort of limited for what you can do. But you can still do different things, give them counterattacks or unique abilities that they can use. Or maybe at certain points in their HP, they change their pattern of attack. Or maybe they're really weak to something, but only under these circumstances you have to do this. And that puts them into a vuln state. And then you hit them with their weakness. You know, there's stuff you can do, right? Even with a bare-bones RPG system. In this game, the bosses are, they have a lot of health. They hit very hard, and they have the ability to just get rid of your buffs and debuffs. That's it. They are slightly bigger trash mobs. I should mention that it's obvious that the QA testers kind of ran out of time when it came to the balancing pass, because from the blue cave onwards, the enemies, the regular trash enemies, are just overtuned. I want to stress that we were grinding, actually grinding, and I know what I'm doing, so I'm actually maximizing my gain, my exp gains, and we were still getting curb stomped from that point onwards. But that's okay, because the whole point is to get that strong, so you get to that point, get the four spells you need, and then ignore combat for the rest of the game, because remember, there's no reason to fight them. <sighs> I could keep going. I could. Um... The, uh, there's no design to the dungeons. Like, I mean, it's just a narrow corridor, so there's, there's nothing visually interesting to look at. Um, for some, so let's talk something concrete, okay? I want you to picture The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time for a second. Now, obviously that game has better dungeon design than this game, but let's talk about one specific aspect. So you're going into, like, the first, uh, the, the Deku tree at the very beginning, right? So you go in and there's this nice big room, okay? Now, in the off chance you get turned around or lost in that room, you will always have the ability to kind of recenter yourself because there's landmarks and there's unique textures and unique items so that no two spots of that room are identical, right? So you can orient yourself. 
Hang on, it gets better because you're always in that room. Now, if you leave that room through one of the doors, you're in another room. Each one of these individual rooms functions as its own cell, and thus you are given an automatic tool by mere virtue of how the game is constructed to help you navigate. Your goal is always progress through the rooms, right? If you're in a room and you're done with things in there, then you probably want to look for another room. And there's just sort of a logical process to the very structure of how that's designed. Now picture Quest 64's dungeons. They are one uninterrupted long hallway. There's no rooms. There's no doors. In many cases, there's no transitions. There are some cases where there are transitions. You know, you go through like a zoning screen or like in the blue cave, there's a couple of zo uh, load loading screens or, or zone lines when you actually enter another zone. Um, in the uh, the aforementioned, uh, not Berrigan cave, the other one, uh, the boil, the boil hole, you get to a point where you see a lava section and then you go back to a corridor and then you see another lava section. So there's some idea of visual progression, but that's it. And all you're doing is just going through this long, massive, singular room. And thus, even if it was well-designed, it had interesting things and stuff to do and well-designed trash, it's still worse on the structural level than something like a Zelda game. The camera's barely controllable. It actually fights you. This is great. In combat, you can... So you hold down B, and the camera kind of swivels behind you, right? That works in the overworld just fine. But in combat, you do that, and you're like, okay, that's over there. The moment you let go, it defaults. It goes back to the default thing, and it kind of fights you as you're trying to see what you're actually doing. And the camera get, likes to get behind things, like trees and rocks. <laughs> see? By the way, you have to aim your spells. That would have been a cool idea. Having to aim your spells, okay, this is going to hit a spot in front of me, this is going to hit a line in front of me, this is going to hit these three spokes in front of me. There's a lot of them in front of you. You know, th there's a possibility to try and aim and, and kind of have some little skill built in. None of that, no, none of that. The music is actually okay, but the music implementation is terrible. It, it pulls out one of my biggest complaints about music design when it comes to RPGs especially, and this was a really bad thing back in the NES and the SNES period. Picture with me. You're walking on the overworld. You're hearing the overworld song. Da, da, da. It's an awesome song. Oh, hang on. You entered battle. Okay. So the battle music starts at the beginning, and you listen through the first 20 seconds of the battle music before you leave the combat, either because you've crushed them or because you've fled from combat. And now the, you're back in the overworld, and the overworld song starts over, and you hear the first few seconds of it again. This may sound like a minor complaint, but this builds up over time. And not only is this just irritating at the beginning of it, because you just have this repetition of the first 10 seconds of the combat song, the dungeon song, and the overworld song, just playing over and over and over and over, but it's also doing a disservice to the songs, because you can't hear the whole thing. <laughs> Unless you just stop playing the game, put down the controller, and say, okay, let's listen to the music for a second. This is, of course, er, exacerbated by the encounter rate, which is not the worst I've ever seen but is pretty bad. In many cases, I would literally take two steps before getting into another encounter. Again, I can prove this. It was on camera. <sighs> there are other problems. The game doesn't tutorialize its mechanics particularly well. Uh, the difficulty curve doesn't exist. It's either too easy or too hard, and it bounces back and forth between the two with no rhyme or reason. Um... The textures have lots of issues with loading time. Uh, it's possible to completely fall into a death loop at certain points of the game. There is a point of no return with no warning whatsoever. <sighs> I suppose I should talk about the story. 
one of the jokes that people made while I was streaming was, what story? But that's the problem, is there is a story here. Anybody who knows me knows that if there's an absence of story, that's fine. Really. Uh, it can be argued, because I would argue even Super Mario Bros. 1 has a story. And I suppose I should talk about that since I just brought that up. I want you to imagine you're playing Super Mario Bros. 1 for a second, or whatever platformer you can think of that doesn't have much of a story. Just picture it in your mind, okay? Now, remove the graphic of the main character and replace it with a cube. And remove the graphic of the background and the graphic of the enemies and the graphics of all of that, and just replace it with pure geometry with no rhyme or reason to it. It's just an object. And the reason I bring this up, and the reason I want to walk you through that, and I want you to think about that, is because even though it's threadbare, those little visual touches add to a game. That is the story for a lot of games, uh, especially of the platformer variety, but other games that are very light on what we normally think of as story, like cutscenes and dialogue and stuff like that. There is still a, t a form of environmental storytelling, which I personally think is critical to good game design. You can have an extremely well-designed platformer, but if it's just a bunch of polygons and, and random geometric shapes and nothing else, it's absent that extra layer. And I know this because there's quite a few of those in the indie game market, which are just polygons and geometry. And it's like, well, okay, that's a neat platformer, but it's not hitting me the way Mega Man will, for example. So, <laughs> even a game, however, like something like Super Mario Brothers, now that we got that speech out of the way, which basically has, I don't know why I said basically, I'm sorry. I'm trying to organize my thoughts. That's why I say basically is because I'm trying to... Even a game like Super Mario Brothers, which has a relative absence of story is not something I'm going to ding particularly because ignoring the environmental storytelling I just mentioned, the fact is that not every game needs story. In fact, I would say effectively no games need a story. This is something I get uh, some weird glances at every now and again. I do think every game could be uh, augmented, added to, by having good story. And that's important. It has to be a good story. I think you could make a Tetris game better by adding good story, in my opinion. But it isn't necessary. You don't need it. But if you have a story and it's bad, that pulls away from it. That makes the work worse. Oh, that's a good time to talk about this game I just played called Quest 64. Now, yes, I know that the story is fleshed out substantially in the two versions we didn't play on camera. I know that there's a whole story arc about Shannon, who's guiding you this whole time. I know there's this thing about Guilty being the, the great scientist Hojo wannabe, who's actually been you know designing some of the monsters and augmenting the people. I know that King, uh, whatever his name is, has actually been behind all of the events throughout the course of the game, and how he's been setting up this stuff. All of that stuff, however, is not in the version we played. Instead, what we get is nonsense. It's so nonsense that I'm going to have trouble describing it. I had trouble on camera, too. There's let, Let's start with the obvious stuffs. There's one character in this game. One. It's Shannon. Now, you're probably thinking, but there's tons of people. Yes, but there's only one character. There are three types of NPCs in this game. There's Shannon. She's by herself. Then there are NPCs with one line of dialogue, and that's it. And NPCs with two or three lines of dialogue, and that's it. Like, the king in Dondarin has two lines of dialogue, one before you beat the boss and one after. That's it. There's no characterization, no depth, no layers, no anything. They are just billboards or signposts that happen to say a bit of dialogue that has nothing to do with anything in most cases. 
Occasionally they'll say something that might add to the area. This mostly happens in the final town in the game, but that's about as much as you're going to get out of that. By the way, this includes your own dad, but I'll get to that in a second. So total lack of characterization, which actually saps away from the game. Okay, that makes sense. It's also worth noting that you don't have to have dialogue for characterization, as has been proven many times. I just want to mention that really quickly. I mean, Doom 4, Metroid, you get it. So that's easy to explain. That sucks. There's the plot. <laughs> Let me describe you the plot of the English game. You ready for this? All right. Hey, kid, uh, your dad is missing. Don't make any Fallout 3 jokes, please. So I need you to go find your dad. Okay, yeah, sure. I can go find my dad. Oh, my gosh. It's really dangerous to be traveling right now because of a bandit. I'm going to go stop that bandit so it's safe to travel. Whew, okay, the bandits stopped, so I can go travel now. Da -da 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 -da. Oh my gosh, it's really difficult and, and dangerous to travel right now because of this bandit who stole a, a gem. Let me go defeat him so travel is safe. Okay, he's defeated. Whew. You know, we can't actually sail the waves right now, so we can't actually sail to this old area because it's so dangerous to sail right now. So we got to go defeat this bandit who, de who stole this item so we can do this. Okay, we've done that. Whew. Okay. Now we've got to go to this new area. Oh my gosh, it's, it's very dangerous to travel right now. I'm not joking, by the way. I'm not exaggerating. There's this new area, and, and it's kind of dangerous to travel here because there's a murderer and an arsonist who recently snuck in and, and stole this super powerful gem. They're over this way. Okay, well, let's go, let's go fight them, and, and we go through two of the worst dungeons of the game, and then we get to them and we defeat him, and he mentions, ah, the king expected me to give him the gems, but I'm keeping them for myself. The the king, who? What, what king? Then we go immediately past that, and we're suddenly in the evil empire. And now we just get barraged by every NPC, all this story about this evil king who has gained this power, and there's this woman who met him in the past, and all of this, just, just we just get exposition dumped out of nowhere about... Evil king, corrupted by power, yada yada, okay? Okay, so we go, we go in there. Uh, we defeat the scientist guy. I'm sorry, we don't know he's a scientist in the English. We defeat some random ogre who says he's been experimenting on something. No idea what that's about. Then we go forward, and there's this random dude on the ground who's next to Shannon. Um, that's our dad. Then we move forward, and we go fight the king. And the king says, aha, power, we kill him. And then we move forward a little bit, and Shannon says, excellent. Now all the pieces are in place for you to go and defeat Mammon. You can't go forward. Now go forward, please. So you go forward, you kill Mammon. He says, I'm so happy to be dead. The world is saved. The end. That's the plot. No hyperbole, no exaggeration. Did that sound disjointed? Do me a favor. Picture a game with a story you love. Just off the top of your head. I will use Final Fantasy VI as an example. I want you to imagine going through that game, and for four-fifths of the game, the overwhelming majority of the game, the main villain and their motivations and their actions and their connection to event are erased from the game. So to use FF6 as an example, imagine you start the game as Terra. There's no Magitek armor. There's no Biggs and Wedge. There's no dialogue about that. You're just entering this town and attacking it for no reason. There's no mention of the Empire. There's no mention of who the Returners are fighting. They just want you to go to this castle. Kefka is completely removed from the story. Geshtal, Leo, the attack on Doma, all of that is gone. Then I want you to imagine that you get to Vector, and all of a sudden, at that point, they're like, the evil Empire has been doing all this stuff this whole time. That is how this game is presented narratively. 
And that's the biggest problem I have with the story. The core story isn't actually all that terrible. The idea of the elements being out of in balance with each other is certainly a story that has been done several times to decent effect, no less. And there's something to be said about a, you know, a coming-of-age story, a trying-to-rescue-a-family member story, and a trying-to-reseal-evil story. All of these have been done to good and bad effect over the years. But the total absence of presentation really hurts the story. Did you notice when I, when, when I briefly mentioned we found our dad? That's one of the worst scenes in the game, if you could call it that. First of all, it's optional. <laughs> you can just walk by them and just leave and not talk to them. But if you do talk to them, I wish I'd written it down. The words that come out of their mouths is, is, is English? But that's not English. That's not language that's being communicated. What they say is so nonsensical that it actually contradicts itself and just in some cases is literal nonsense. doesn't actually make any sense. Now, what's supposed to happen, Japanese version, is that uh, the dude whose name I can't think of, your dad, uh, Bart, I think is his name, he was like, aha, I will, I'm here to, to defeat the king, and Shannon beat the crap out of him in order to make sure that he doesn't interfere with her plans and to make sure that he still serves as a draw point for us, which is what she's actually after this whole time. And, you know, aha, now we've shown up, and it's, oh, yes, I defeated your father. You must go forward, or else I will kill your father. That's not in the English version. There's something about you have no choice because I control your father. But then she mentions that to get to save your father, you must go forwards. And the way she says it in English is very clearly, your dad's up ahead. He's actually right there. If you talk to him, he never says he's your dad. He doesn't even acknowledge who you are, really. He just says, ah, Shannon is a puppet and she's evil and I tried to stop her. And I'm so hurt. And that's it. There is an absence of presentation. I'm not just talking about the fact that there's no cutscenes, which there aren't, which is disorienting as hell, by the way. I, if you haven't seen it in action, it is so disorienting to walk onto a ship, enter the cabin, leave the cabin, and the ship is in a new location. No transition, no cutscene, no nothing. It's just you're here now. <laughs> and it does that constantly. The game doesn't show you anything. And that really saps anything the story might have had going for it. Shannon's whole thing about life is good and humans are great just doesn't, there's no power behind it. Not, not the least of which, but the fact that her, their dialogue is terrible. Mammon's whole argument about how he will be free and you will be my wings doesn't make any sense at all, unless you know the actual story in the Japanese version. And so forth and so on, right? So it's confusingly badly written with an absence of presentation, with dialogue that, that I, I'm, I'm repeating myself, dialogue that doesn't make sense. The sequence of events have nothing to do with each other. Uh, this is something I've, I've talked about in a lot of RPGs especially, because narrative-focused games, there needs to be a, a logical path from point A to point B, otherwise it's just a bunch of disjointed scenes. You could probably think of a game, or a show, or a movie, where events just happen, and you just move to the next set piece with no rhyme or reason. Right? I'm sure you can think of at least one example of that off the top of your head right now. I can think of some, too. I'm not going to share any. And then there's the big plot twist about Shannon, which, if you're not paying attention, I wouldn't be surprised you've missed, because she does nothing but help you the whole time and then talks about how humans are awesome and I'm going to learn about them. What? And, um, yeah, that's the game. Let me end this on a point. I feel so bad for these developers. 
Everything I have learned, and there's not a lot of behind-the-scenes information that I was able to find about this game. Everything I've learned about this game paints the exact same picture. We want to capitalize on... So, hang on, let me rewind a second. If you've heard me talk about the big boom in gaming that happened in the mid-90s, well, then you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, there was a big boom in gaming. It became much bigger of an industry. It hit markets it never hit before. This is true for the States and Europe as well, by the way. Kind of in Japan. It suddenly so many people who had never played a video game before were able to play video games. It went from being this niche or niche thing that only a few people did and the geeks and nerds did to something that was more accessible and available to a larger audience for good and for bad. This is something I talked, this is why FF7 was so popular because it was the big game that came out in that boom. I mean, it was a good game too, don't mistake me, but that is the reason FF7 is the big FF is because it was the one that hit at that key point in history. The makers of this game, the people who mandated this, THQ, by the way, knew that. They were like, we need to capitalize on that. We need to get our big game out there. And so they rushed this game through as fast as they possibly could. And this was a very rushed game, as I mentioned earlier. <laughs> this game this, this game, was supposed to be a competitor to Final Fantasy VII. Think about that. So I feel bad for those developers. I really do. I also think this is one of the reasons why Quest 64 is as well known as it is. And I mean that. Because it was one of four RPGs on the N64 in an era when gaming was really booming. So I'm sure there's plenty of other people out there who had a story similar to mine. Oh, goody, an N64 RPG. Oh, it's Quest 64. Now, I actually played through it because I was a moron and I fell into sunk cost fallacy. I know friends and family who literally tried to play this game, picked up this game, and quit at a certain point because screw it. I imagine they're not alone in that. I hope you've enjoyed my thoughts on this one. I'll see you next time.